Welcome, I'm John Lynch and I'm the host of Feed the Underdog podcast, the show where we interview inspiring and successful individuals who have overcome adversity and beat the odds. Join us if you need inspiration and motivation and stay with us as we lead the pack forward and we deep dive into the secrets of what makes an underdog a top dog. So folks, welcome. We got a great guest today. Uh, this guy is just amazing. I mean, he's been like through the, the mill, as you'd say, you know. But, you know, he got himself together and he's the host of Against All Odds Radio Show. He's the author of Win the Game of Googleopoly, president of Dealer Synergy. And he's a real estate investor. He's a speaker. He's a trainer. I think he, he owns uh, his own broadcast sort of company as well. You know, he's worth something like 40 million more. And I think I'm right, as he's done over one billion in sales. Like, look, listen, it's Sean V. Bradley, folks. Listen, uh, thank you so much uh, for having me on your show, Feed the Underdog. I, I definitely have been the underdog my whole life. And uh, it's a title that I, I wear proudly because, again, you know, like Rocky says, it's not about how many times you get knocked down. It's about how many times you're able to, you know, pick yourself back up and keep moving. So, again, thank you. And, and I love the fact that this is an international uh, podcast from Ireland, me being in the United States. I'm honored to be able to, you know, broaden my, my audience level to to another country so again thank you for having me sir you're welcome sean i mean look i i met you on on clubhouse and i, I was listening to like you're inspirational uh, beyond anyone i've known and i'm not saying that i mean really and i and i listen to a lot of a lot of lads uh, heavy hitters and stuff you know the energy is just fantastic and i kind of say to myself what have you got you got something special you've gone from being the underdog and man you've been there i mean you've done time in in the fed prison that's not an easy ride. It's, it, that's got to be difficult. I mean, stuck with with gangs and stuff. What led you into the, the world of gangs and what went wrong? What, what made you choose that path at the start, John? Born. I was born. That was, listen, like, and so it's, it's, I don't know how it is in Ireland, but in the United States, it, with the, with us having 50 states, it's, it's different. I mean, depending where you grew up, it's a completely total different experience. I grew up in Queens and Brooklyn and um, it, it's really really serious there there that's a lot of violence so when i when i was a young kid like four or five years old um my stepfather was a psychopath he used to you know torture me and my mother he used to shoot my mother up with heroin chain her to the bed so she couldn't get out of the house i try to you know threaten to kill me and throw me off a bridge so nypd tactical new york police department tactical team had to come in and extract us from the house. And so we were on the run. And so growing up from that, that type of severe violence as a four, five-year-old, six-year-old, it was crazy. Um, Then, you know, we were really poor and we didn't have a lot of money. It was me and my mother who was always on the run from these crazy, you know, psycho ex-husbands and stuff like that. So I got, I, I didn't have a dad. I didn't have any brothers or sisters. And so I didn't really have any type of, of protection and I didn't want want to be a victim. And so one of the reasons that we click up is called when you click up is because you don't want to be a victim. You don't want to be, you don't want to be oppressed. You don't want to be hurt. And so there's other like-minded people that want to, to, to feel safe, want to be able to get ahead. And it, it was 
two things. One, I didn't want to be poor and it was easy way to make money as a kid. And two, I didn't want to have, uh, I don't want to be a victim. And so I, it was uh, protection of the masses and it just grew. It started at stupid stuff. Like I was, I was running con games when I was a kid, you know, um, my whole life from six, seven years old, running in the streets at six, seven, eight years old, running the streets of Queens and Brooklyn. Uh, one of my earliest hustles, this is funny, John, when I was a kid, uh, we would get these catalogs to sell candy from our school, like cookies and candy and stuff. So I had the idea in, in first grade that I needed some money. So I was like, where am I getting money? So I had a catalog from an old, from an old candy sale. So I took a train, a public train to the next town at six years old. Right. And I went door to door selling candy that didn't exist. So I'd collect the money and throw out the catalog and bounce the other town. And so I graduated from those little hustles to as I got older, selling, you know, a little bit of, 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 of marijuana, things like that. That escalated to selling pills that escalated to selling bulletproof vests to crack dealers in Queens to clone cell phones and then counterfeit money and things like that. And during this time, as I, I was growing up, I was just getting into more and more trouble. My mother didn't want to have anything to do with me. So she put me in a boy's home from 12 to 15. And that's where I really started to get good at, at my criminology, you know what I mean, as a kid. because And then I also, I, was, I wouldn't say I was a punk, but I was soft because I, I was raised by a single mom. And so, you know, when I went to that boy's home, it's, it's like gladiator school. You know what I mean? You're either putting at work or you get rolled over. Uh, you learn street rules and politics. Like you don't talk to the police. You don't do this. You don't do that. You handle your business, you know, no matter what. You get your respect by, by earning it, not by running your mouth. And so again, so I, I got, I got wise to that and it kind of helped me like understand how to operate. Right. It, it helped me learn how to operate, you know, on the streets. And then one thing led to the other. I started flipping money, making money off of that. I've always had the entrepreneurial mind, but I didn't know how to do it in a constructive, positive way. It was just street stuff, getting packages, flipping them, things like that. Then I got involved in the, in the club scene. That's what, what killed me. You know what I mean? It's was like, I was really big into raving into in New York city raves in the, in the early and in, in mid nineties. And so, um, going there, it was insane. So as a kid, it went from selling, you know, like, you know, uh, like, you know, a Candy. couple bags of those, a couple of things of that yeah. to, all right, now I'm, I'm starting to pop these, these pills like Tic Tacs, you know, and I was a, a big break dancer and I was into the music, the techno, the house and that type of music. And then I was like, okay, you know what I need to sell so I could afford to have a great time with me and my friends. So then I would get like 20 pills and then I, I want, I need to keep like, you know, half of them for me and my friends. And then the other ones that I sold was to, so, so I could party for free. Then I'm thinking, wait a minute here, this is easy. And then it went to selling a hundred pills to 200 pills in a night. And this is in the early nineties. I was making three to $6,000, you know, uh, you know, cash as a teenager. And then it just got out of control. There's, there's got to be some moment of grace, some moment of change, something in life that kicks you into touch. Like what happened that to, to deviate from that path? Like it didn't happen for a while. So let me fast forward. There, it gets even bigger, and this is what got me the opportunity with the show that we'll talk about a little bit later on. So I'm a teenager. I'm in 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 high school, and I I, I didn't pay attention to school, I, and I still got like C's. Same. 
you know, not even trying, cutting class and just being a, like a delinquent. But I was into the rave scene and the skater scene. We used to skateboard. And I, I had joined the Army. I had enlisted in the United States Army for airborne infantry. And I had a ship date to go out. So I didn't apply to college. I, I was going to join the Army as a combat soldier. Crazy. I don't know what I was thinking. And I was in a warehouse. This is all crazy stuff, man. And uh, we had a bonfire going. It was an abandoned warehouse, so it was no drama. We were just a bunch of stupid kids drinking and doing tricks, you know, on the skateboard in there. And one of my friends, they they knocked over the fire and burnt the place down. Thank God it was abandoned, and thank God nobody got hurt. But in the United States, it's not like on TV, at least in the 90s. It wasn't like on TV where the judge says, you can either go to prison or go to the Army. They didn't care. The Army didn't want to have anything to do with me. If I had any open cases, then they would and they were, I was going to lose my ship date. So my attorneys were trying to get the charges dropped because I was trying to go to the army and, and start my life and, and be okay. Yeah, yeah. But not in time. So thank God the charges got dropped, but not fast enough. So I lost my ship date. So all of a sudden, I didn't have a place to live, oh, yeah. you know, and I was like, oh my God, what's going on? Because I was planning to go to the freaking army. So I applied to two universities, Ryder University and Rutgers University. I got into both by the grace of God and lucky. And, um, I chose Ryder University. So even though I couldn't enlist, I went through the reserves officer training, uh, you know, uh, school. Okay. So the ROTC is the, is the reserve officer training, you know, um, uh, branch. And the whole the, the idea is to go through college for four years. And when you're done, you would owe the army four years, but you would be a commissioned second lieutenant as an officer in the army. So I was cool. I was going to college. I was living on campus. Everything's great. But then I got deeper and deeper into the club scene. Okay. I have one of the largest cases in the United States history for ecstasy. And we were bringing in brother, 10,000 pills of ecstasy from Europe. What we would do is we had flight routes from New York. We had, um, you know, the girls and like that. These were models and strippers. We would have them, you know, fly from JFK to Belgium, from Belgium, you know, uh, take a train into Holland from there. They'd either go back to Belgium or Germany and fly back. So at 17, 18 years old, we were bringing 10,000 pills of E every six weeks, you know, uh, on this, on this, 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 this freaking thing. During this time, I got hit by four agencies. I got hit by two state agencies and two federal agencies. I got arrested within two years by the Bayshore Task Force, by the United States Secret Service, by the United States DEA, and also Woodbridge Police. Uh, when this is all said and done, it was insane. I, I wound up getting, uh, I pled guilty to 10 years. Jeez, and I 10 had years. a four-year a three-year sentence, a two-year sentence, and a one-year sentence, thank God, running concurrently. So I wound up doing three straight years in the feds. So from 19 years old to 22 years old, I was in federal prison. So by the time I was 22 years old and I came out, I already lost six years of my life at 22. I lost three years in the boys' home and three years in prison. So you asked me just a couple moments ago, there must have been something. No, not into this time. Yeah. Every breath I took was either about survival, gangbanging, or making money. I never grew up with the positive. I never knew about morals. Yeah, uh, you know, integrity. You're no role body. model like Sean. Yeah, yeah. I never knew this stuff. But when I was in prison, here's the first change. But I wasn't ready in prison to change. But I met some very serious people I don't want to get into, yeah. but uh, I studied Russian at Ryder University. I was a Russian major and culture anthropology minor, so I'm very good with languages. And I'm half Sicilian. I'm Belizean. I'm Sicilian. So that's the, that's the Brooklyn Italian shit. So when I was in the feds, I was 19 years old. I was the liaison between the Italians and the Russians in federal prison, right? Because I was young and that was the two worlds I was in. Yeah. So 
another crazy, just ironic story, which I never really got into a clubhouse, but you could Google this. The highest ranking ever Russian organized crime to touch United States soil is Naponchuk Ivankov. Major people. So on that case was in 1993, 1994. So when I was in federal prison in 1996, that's when they were we crossed over. We met in Brooklyn Federal. So these people I would have never had access to. Yeah. You know, highest ranking Russians from Moscow in there, I became friends with. And I learned Russian from a guy named Vladimir. We'll just use his first name. His real name is Vladimir. And Vladimir was, this is a guy that, that served under, under two Soviet presidents. He was a card-carrying member of the Communist Party back in the day. He had a PhD in, in, in macroeconomics, but he was Russian organized crime because Russian organized crime is really government officials, ex-government officials that have, have contacts, <laughs> yeah. different world. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so he would teach me, and this is the crazy part of my life story, is that this guy, a supposable gangster, yeah. is the one that told me, listen, young kid, you are so smart what you're doing, but if you don't stop, you're going to be here forever or dead. And I got to be honest with you. When I was 19 years old, I didn't want to hear that shit. I, I, I was, I learned a lot of Russian from him and he was like, you know, like he was a Russian gangster and that was what, that, that, that's what I was excited about. But when I got out of prison, that's when all the lessons that I learned from smart people. So the people that started to put me on my path was not the judicial system, but actual convicts and actual prisoners that, that, that saw something in me. Yeah. My mind and my opportunity, like, listen, man, you need to think of of a different way to do that. So, yeah, that's where I first started getting that influence. But then something did happen to me. So, but I'll let you ask your next question. But the, the, the seed was planted, Sean. That happened to me in my life. I mean, you know, I, I ended up going a route where, you know, I, I didn't really achieve anything. And someone said something to me once. They said, you can carry more in your head than you can in your shoulders, you know. And I thought, what's he mean by that? What, what, what's he saying? You should, you should become uh, whatever, do this and go to construction, do it, be an engineer. It's like, what? what? What the fuck? You know, it's like, you know, this guy's a bit crazy, whatever, you know, but it, it planted the seed. Do you think that I'd say that seed was sort of planted there as well? Yes, you know, yeah. it was planted, but I wasn't, it didn't have sunshine. Yeah. It didn't have water. It didn't have oxygen. It didn't have what it needed to grow. I still wasn't ready to hear that message, but it was there in my memory banks. Then I came home from prison, and this is a funny story. So I come home from prison and after doing three years, and so I, I felt like I was like Steve Jobs working at Food Town because I was out of the prison. You know what I mean? So I felt like, uh, you know, I mean, like I was slinging ham and cheese sandwiches, like I'm Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. Were you going I, straight I, now, though? You were going straight, right? Yeah, I'm on. The, I, but I'm straight now. But then that yeah. lasted. <laughs> that lasted about three weeks because when I came home, my one of my homeboys, one of my friends, let me come move in with him, and he was a drug dealer. And so here I am going to Food Town, and here he is, you know, with a bowl of Cheerios with girls coming over the house, yeah. making thousands of dollars when I'm making like you know five dollars an hour. That that shit wore off really quick. And then I went back to Brooklyn and I re-upped. I got I got like a bags, pills, or like that, and I just went in and I started hustling and grinding again, but. I don't know what happened. I don't know if I, I believe in, I, I believe in the laws of attraction. I believe in manifestation. I believe in the universe. I, I, I do have faith, but I just, you know what I mean? Like, and that's where I'll leave it for this podcast. Yeah. So I'm not going to say it was God or anything like that, but I don't know what it was. Yeah. Something did come over me and it was, 
incredibly powerful where I, I felt it wasn't fear. It was almost certainty. Like if I keep doing this shit right here, I'm going back to prison or worse. So I just stopped. I, I, I moved out of the town that I was and I went to go. This is another funny part of the story. I went to rent a room in a really nice area of Red Bank. That's where I met my ex-wife, the Irish girl that I told you about, half Italian, half Irish, uh, Sharon. And I, I, I only I had a thousand dollars cash to my name. I had a Walkman and I had a backpack, and that was it. Oh. I, I go to get the room that I found on the, on the newspaper to rent a room. It wasn't a room. They they misled me. I rented for five hundred dollars a month a couch, but it was location, 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 it location. Was <laughs> it, was, it was a beautiful. So I did it, and I got a job as a waiter. And I changed my life around. And then I, I just, I, I cut cold turkey, all the hustling, all that stuff. But in my mind, though, I was like, you know what? If this shit doesn't work out, I can go back to Brooklyn. I can go back to New York. I could turn around. I could put in that work and I'm good. But I never did it. But mm-hmm. that's what kept me. The monkey on the shoulder kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Is that like, I didn't, I didn't have a fear of being a waiter, you know, and, and then my, and what changed my life. Okay. Was when my friend, the same drug dealer friend, he had told me, listen, you should sell cars. I got into the automotive industry and I was just good at it, man. It was like all the, all the criminal shit that I did, but legal, not, not stealing anything, but hustling, hustling. like calling on the phone. Yeah. I had that personality. Yeah. You know, like, You're a born hustler, Sean, I reckon. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. a hustler, a networker, yeah. you know, grinder, working hard. Like I, I didn't mind working, but I channeled it all to building up a customer base. Change your focus. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I just kept on flipping it. Like I used to flip counterfeit, you know, money and flip drugs. I started flipping opportunities. So I started more and more cars. And then I went from salesman of the month to salesman of the year to becoming a manager. And after five years on the front lines, being a high level manager, at one of the best in the country at what I do. Wow. I started my first company. So dealer synergy, I started 17 years ago in, in a couple of days, April 13th will be 17 years. I'd own the first company, man. Happy anniversary. What age did you start that company shot again? What age were you? I was probably around like 26, 26 going on 27. 26, yeah. first company. Jesus, that's amazing, man. And that's thriving. Yeah. That business is flying, yeah? Oh, yeah. Like I, I, like I shared before, I, I've generated over personal income for myself, over $40 million. So my clients are all multi-billion and multi-million dollar businesses. Okay, so if you think about that for a second, for the last 22 years, I'm in a multi-trillion you know, dollar industry, the automotive sales industry. And these dealer groups... Are, are worth billions. I have one client right now for, as an example, called Coons Automotive. Coons has, ni- they own 19 car dealerships. They're worth $2.5 billion. So, and what's crazy about it is I have about 20 plus employees, about 22 employees, right? And I spend $0 in marketing advertising and I have zero salespeople. 100% of my business comes to me because of my reputation and my skill set. Like I, I, I'm the person that, that, that comes into a, a car dealership and helps you from every aspect, from recruiting, staffing, training, to uh, process engineering, to technology engineering, to digital marketing. And I basically take an organization. For example, one of my stores is Bob Ruth Ford. We took a dealership that was selling 75 cars a month, which well, that's is not about, bad. You know, is it Sean? That's okay. 75. Yeah. For on the internet. Yes. The average limit profile in the United States added, there's 16,500 franchise dealerships and another 40,000 used car dealerships. So that's roughly about 
let's say 56,000, yeah, 56, 56,000 car dealerships, new and used car dealerships in the United States. The average car dealership, their whole entire store only sells about 100 cars. Uh, a so month, is it? Yeah. Okay. Say again? A month? A hundred a month? Yeah, yeah. a month. Yeah. And they make about $2,000 profit. Okay. So the average, on I remember, so sales, the average store makes about two hundred to $300,000 a month in sales, but then service might be another, you know, X amount of you know, hundreds of thousands. So anyway, this store that I mentioned to you, Bob Ruth Ford is one of my national success stories. They were selling 75 cars a month off the internet. Okay. When I got the, which is really good. Mm-hmm. And they were selling probably about 230 cars a month total, wherever they get them from prior customers, the service department, whatever. I, within a couple of years, took them from 75 cars a month to 317 and this month they're going to do like almost 330 a month so just to put that in perspective financially just so we're on the same page here wow so 317,000 i'm sorry 317 units a month times uh $2,400 a copy which is that they were doing we we we're making the store $760,000 a month times for the last three years 36 months i've made the store 27 million dollars last three years. So when you, when you're able to, to, to help a multi-million dollar business, make it an, an extra and out of a net increase, I would have to say, uh, let's do the math. So I have 27 million, and let's do it reverse. If they were doing only 75 cars times $2,000 a copy, that's 150 a month times 36, that's 5 million. So I, I literally took them from $5.4 million to $27 uh, million. So again, hell, it's over, wow. you know, $61 million. I, I single-handedly made this organization. It's nearly 10x, man, isn't it? Nearly 10x. I mean, Jesus. Sean, that's massive. So, that's massive. Yeah, no, you, thank you. And so that's what I've been doing for 17 years. I, for 17 years, I don't work with individual people. I only work with multi-billion and multi-million dollar dealerships. Yeah, okay. In the middle of that, I've, I've been I've been doing other businesses. Me and my wife, we own 11 companies. Uh, three of them are in the multi-million dollar category. The other ones are either in startup or they do, you know, six figures and things like that. A um, couple things that I'm, I'm really, you know, proud of is that I am a CSP. That's what my name is right there. It stands for a certified speaking professional. So out of the, the professional speakers in the world, there's only about 6% achieve the CSP status. It's like a CPA in accounting, but for paid, you know, professional speakers. Yeah. So I've been part of the National Speakers Association and the Global Speakers Federation for about 14 years. And through them, I was able to pitch my book to the number one business book publishing company in the United States, which is Wiley. Uh, Wiley is a multi-billion dollar publishing company. And so when I, I wrote my book, which is an international bestseller on, on Google, it's called Win the Game of Googleopoly. It's about advanced digital marketing. It has nothing to do with car dealerships. It has to do with advanced digital marketing, video search and optimization, things like that. Um, you know, it was a major book. It was in all the Barnes and Nobles and the airports. I went on a book tour, you know, all over the country. And it, it kind of made me famous as an author. Then from there, I'm, I'm reinvesting my own businesses. You know, I keep getting more and more and more. And then, you know, recently I just landed in, in 2021. I just January, I just started a nationally syndicated radio show called Against All Odds. We are in, in Los Angeles, which is the number one radio market in the United States. I'm in Los Angeles. I, I, during prime time on the weekends is between one and two. I, I'm in Los Angeles 
on Republican radio, okay, with 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 uh, you know Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, wow. and uh, you know some of the these leviathans in the business world. I, I have my show that's there. Then I'm in Cleveland on 106.1 FM, which is the number one hip hop station in, in Cleveland. I'm on. Um, 95.1 in Rochester, which is an influencer personality, you know, station on FM. Uh, this is one of the most prestigious stations in Rochester, New York. And we just switched starting in April uh, for Q2. We just uh, switched from Atlanta to Washington, D.C. So now I'm on uh, WNK FM 104.7 in Washington. So there's roughly about a million Americans a week that tune into my, my, my broadcast radio show and the radio show is called against all odds. Yeah. And that's on um, a podcast as well, isn't it? I could, I listened to a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's very good. After, love it. Love it. Yeah. Thank you. So after the, the, the radio airs on broadcast radio and FM radio yeah. on, on Saturday and Sunday, it converts to the podcast, yeah. you know, you know, on Monday for the week. And we've interviewed like just Tim's story, you know, um, you know, you know, Grant Cardone, Grant Cardone yeah. Nate, Seals. I just interviewed uh, Sean Matson, who's a Navy SEAL. From he's an officer with SEAL Team Four, SEAL Team Eight. I've interviewed NBA stars, NFL Hall of Famers from the NFL, music producers, celebrity. I mean, it's it's a it's a real show. It's it's a major show, and uh, it's it's crazy to me. Like I, it's, the kid that that used to sell bulletproof vests to crack deals in Queens, wow. an ex gang member, ex you know convict, to go from that life to be able to be a best selling author and a radio show host. It's it's surreal, but you know I'm living the dream. You're not going to stop, like you'll never settle, will you? You know. No, no. Ask me the question, host. What's what am I the most proud of? What are you most proud of? <laughs> that shit. I can care less about any of that stuff. I can care less. I, I I still have the same swagger. I still have the same thing. Yeah. Whether I'm multimillionaire or I'm a I'm a thousandaire. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm Sean Bradley. You know what I mean? Like I'm a hustler. This a hustler's mentality. What I'm the most proud of is that I've been with my wife for 14 years. Yeah. Right? You love your We've family, man. Four yeah. beautiful, healthy, kind children. And so my wife is my partner, not just at home, but she's the CEO of my company. She actually, she's freaking took my job. She's, I'm the president of the company, but she's a CEO because she's a better executive than I am. And so we have achieved like work-life balance, but it's not just in our marriage or in our business, but it's in parenting as well. So it's the trifecta for us. And where we're at in life is, is, is building other human beings. So a bit, we have a foundation we started called help because you can, help because you so can. Okay. Yeah. com, And we sit on, on uh, the board of the Pauly strong foundation, which is, you know, part of Sloan Kettering Memorial, New York city, pediatric cancer, you know, hospital. And we've donated over a million dollars, you know, cash to 47 different charities on top of our time and our expertise and our resources. Yeah. But, you know, on top of all the shit that I've done, it's what I'm really the most proud of, proud of is my my family because I, I didn't grow up with the family at all. Yeah, I didn't tell my mother or my father, my biological father, most of my life because they're crazy and put me through hell. But you know, I, I'm a, I'm not a great perfect dad, but I'm I'm a very good father and I'm a very good husband. So those are the things I'm the proud of the most is that I'm not perpetuating the cycle of violence and craziness. Yeah. I've broken that cycle. I'm first generation in this country. My father's from Belize, by the way. And so, you know, again for me and my mother's the Sicilian side of things. And so for for me to be able to 
come out of the projects and the violence and the gangs in prison and just be alive and be an air conditioning repairman is it, I'd be happy, but to, to become massively successful and wealthy, that's proud. But the shit that I'm proud of the most is, is my wife and my children and, and my family and our contribution to the world. That's what I'm proud of the most. Sean, your heart's in the right place, isn't it really? I mean, you know, uh, it looks like that. I, I mean, uh, it, it's something to, 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 to say, you don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I, I'm not a saint, but yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, yeah. Believe that I, I believe that my, my moral compass shines true North. I, I do believe that. Um, am I opinionated? Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. I'm very fair yeah. and, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm, I believe in equality. I don't care um, whatever, whether it's religious, gender, preference, whatever. Like I love people equally or I dislove people equally. I mean, like I have no bias and I, I like to consider myself a very fair you know, and, and logical person, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not guided by stupid shit. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I believe that life is way too short and, you know, relationships are too precious to, to jeopardize because of stupid beliefs. Your wife was crushing it as well on, on, on in her businesses, by the way, I, I was, I thought, wow, man, the two of you are like oh two dynamos. Like, huh? Yeah. You know what she did in the entertainment industry, right? Yeah. 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 That's the thing is that she inspires me. I mean, like, to have a woman, like, let me just brag on my wife for a second. Like, she's just an amazing person. For her to have her her father be in prison, you know, when she was a, a little girl, and wow. she, because her dad got locked up for years, she was homeless. So as a young girl, she was homeless. She lived in the Salvation Army, and, and she pulled herself up. But instead of me, she's better than me. I mean, she she, she didn't go the gang route or the craziness or the illegal stuff. Yeah. She's a straight edge. You know what I mean? Like, she, she never smoked a cigarette no drugs she barely drinks a sip of, of, of alcohol nothing she's she's just a very conservative woman um she did get pregnant when she was 16 so she went from being homeless to being a teen mom but she pulled herself out of it oh. she got, a, she got her, uh you know a scholarship at drexel university for pre-med she's got a photographic memory you know she has got like 14 years of counting but the entertainment industry she blew up this is how i got my book deal my book deals because of my case study of my wife we oh. took an unknown recording artist and within three years she had 60 million views online she has 11 major music videos with platinum recording artists reality tv show stars and, and 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 she was you know she blew up as a recording artist she's got tracks with meat mill remy ma these are grammy nominated wow. recording artists yeah, and man. stuff and after three years crushing the entertainment industry she she and i had a conversation about okay what's the next step the next step is just more fame and more money or yeah. we'd have another kid so we chose to have our youngest one who's seven now and she retired and now she's helping the family build you know all these companies and she's got another company of her own called scar food so you know she's she's an amazing entrepreneur business mogul herself but to your point we in the very beginning of our relationship 14 years ago we went through the seven habits course and the certification so it's not like we just read a book yeah okay. we did that and we went together to school and we spent tens of thousands of dollars getting certified to become Franklin Covey trainers and facilitators. And it's one of my best investments and it's one of our, our best investments because it helps us be better parents, be better married okay. and be better entrepreneurs. I was wondering where you got the skill set because myself, I didn't get that sort of upbringing either. And it's like you're kind of... Uh you know, you think you have it and you're kind of going, geez, what do you do here? Like, you know, uh, and then, you know, you have to be kind of like break the cycle. You have to kind of take something on yourself and learn from others. Like, and you have to invest in yourself, Sean. Like, I think that's what, yeah. yeah. 
But you're 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 the, your own greatest asset, aren't you? You have to put some money into yourself and put time into yourself. In in my opinion, I would say that it is single handedly the most significant investment that you could ever do. And if you think about it, right, if you're not willing to invest in yourself, why the fuck should anybody else? That's why true. Like if you for me yeah. and you want to raise, you want this and that, but you don't even give a shit about yourself or your family, your kids. Why should I invest in you? If you, if you don't, if you don't think you're, you're worth it to invest in yourself. So that's the thing for me is I'm self-taught everything. I taught myself website design. I'm an architect now. I taught myself search engine optimization. I taught myself social media. I taught myself marketing. I put myself into Toastmasters. I put myself into the National Speakers Association. I put myself into Franklin Covey. I put myself into skill pass seminars. I educated Ray. I surrounded myself with brilliant people and I learned, you know, and I constantly looked for places that I could not be the smartest person in the room. Uh, one of my friends wrote a book called The Theory of Five. You are the sum of the five people you spend the most amount of time with. And if you spend your time with people, I don't care if they're family or friends, I don't give a shit. If you surround yourself with certain people that are not doing shit, that have bad attitudes, that are broke, I guarantee you, you're not doing shit. You're broke and you're not, you know, and so on and so forth. If you want to have the life of wealthy, successful people, then you better start surrounding yourself with wealthy, successful people and or people that are trying to be wealthy and successful, in my opinion. Yeah, like the, the, there's probably some young fella there, I know, uh, some young man, and he's in shit, right, to put it that way. And mm -hmm. he probably doesn't even know it. He thinks he's living a great life like we all do, you know. But, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's going to come knocking on the door, you know, that moment of, you know, what's going on or someone's going to knock it down for you or, or something like that. But it's like, mm -hmm. I, I think you're right. You don't even have to be in close proximity with people to make yourself grow. I mean, even buying the right books, listening to the right stuff on YouTube, doing the, the courses, like you've said. Would what, would you give that advice to someone young now that's kind of thinking, what am I at? My life is, I'm, I'm in trouble. What would you say to them? Here's the thing is that it's kind of hard because I wasn't ready to hear some shit, you know? So I think it's, let me answer that two different ways, okay? Because I've thought about this a lot, a lot, a lot. I'm sure. One is if you want to help somebody, right, especially that's younger, that's that's at risk of, of, of you know, encouragable behavior or, you know, uh, prison or something like that, or worse, they might get killed on the streets because they're, they're banging, they're gangbanging or what have you, you need to – to, to give them a positive influence, you need to, you can't just say, hey, read a book or watch a movie. They ain't trying to hear that shit. The life is too fast paced yeah. and it's hard. It's hard, even if you've got a good heart. And this is what I say. I mean, I mean, no disrespect to social workers, but why the fuck am I going to listen to a social worker? If I'm making, I just told you at 17 years old, I was making three to $6,000 a night, okay? A night at a rave party selling ecstasy, right? So you're telling me, and then I got crack dealers, you know, that are 14 years old making three, five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 in a weekend. You know what I mean? Not all of themselves. They got, they got to pay up and stuff like that. But how are you going to tell me that, okay, I should follow your, your blueprint and what, become a fucking air conditioning repairman, become a plumber? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Those are honorable professions, but I'm just saying for somebody that's making that crack dealer money, that gun money, that street money, it's hard. Yeah. So what you need to do 
is get somebody that's successful, whether that's a professional athlete or a music person or a business person, somebody that has that that amazing life that can get their attention. You need somebody to to break through yeah. that noise or that grip that the streets or those people got on them to say, look, young blood, look, there's another way you can do it. There's another option. You don't have to, you know, put in that work. You don't have to turn around and risk your life to do that shit. You just need to invest your time in this because I didn't know about this part until later on in life. So that's the first thing I'm going to say is that influence by having people that are successful give a shit. Like I give a shit. You do, yeah. But yeah. there's not a lot of people that are multi, multi-millionaires that, that give a shit to invest their time in helping people that are minorities or from you know urban environments or come from adverse conditions. They don't give a fuck. You know why? Because they're not going to be able to do anything for them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But the difference is, is that if you find people that came from that, I came from the depths of hell. You know what I mean? Like I've been through some shit. You know what I mean? I got PTSD. Like I got like the shit that combat soldiers have. I have anxiety disorders because of the shit that I've been through in my life. So I understand what these people have been through, yeah. you know, because I've been there myself. Yeah. And so for me, I can relate to those type of people, just like people that have um, – like for veterans, using an example, you know, you it's hard to counsel a combat soldier that, that, that's that's a, it's an infantryman if you've never been in combat. I mean, like you have a good heart and a good soul. Yeah. Unless you've been through that shit yourself, like what are you going to say to them? You're going to give them a door and a coffee and pat them on their back? What are you going to do? Yeah. So for yeah. me, that's that's the influence side of things. That's the first thing. Now, the other side of it to answer your direct question is yes. What you can do is if somebody's receptive, okay, which is harder because I know a lot of parents are like, what do I do? My, my kid won't listen. And so you got to break through that. But if you break through, oh my God, then what you need to do is take advantage of their attention and their willingness to listen to you. You've got one shot to make an impression. So make it good. Have a plan of what you can offer that person. So I like the three books or the three things that I like to tell people to change their life, like, like motivation wise yeah. is secret. The book from Rhonda Byrne about laws of attraction and manifestation, because it's simple and it's on Netflix. You don't have to read anything. You just watch the movie and it's free. So the secret is about the laws of attraction and, you know, like attracts like, and that's, that's a big thing. The second would be rich dad, poor dad. Oh yeah. It's a good book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a great book. And then it's simple enough for somebody to understand money, because if you think about this, I was just talking to DJ Everett, you know, the actor from Sons of Anarchy uh, the other day in one of my groups on Sunday. I think you were in that one. And he talks about that. If you want to rehabilitate people, a lot of this has to do with financial illiteracy. A lot of the crimes are committed is that people are, are want money or fast money because they don't they don't know how to make money. If they make money, they don't know how to manage it and grow it. They waste it. And so they're in that, that, that constant cycle of despair. If I need money, I need money. No, you just need to learn how to fucking educate yourself on money and how to make your money work for you and things like that. So I think that, you know, the secret and, you know, the rich dad, poor dad are the first two. Now, if you got them, you know, listening and, and, and hooked a little bit in the, in, in the potential, then you hit him with the seven habits. Because the seven habits is a little bit harder. It's a little bit more advanced, is, a little yeah. more 
sophisticated. And so I, I, I really try, you know, to, to hit people with that first. In my morning motivations, I spend so much time on it because the audience is different. The audience is, you know, if somebody's waking up at seven o'clock in the morning to hear me talk, I, then, then again, I got your attention. So if you want to know what, I, why I'm a multimillionaire and if I'm saying this book, and if you don't read the book, then you must really not give a shit because why would you get your ass up at seven o'clock in the morning and hear me every damn day, Monday through Friday? And the big thing I'm telling you is this book. And you're like, you know what? He's a multimillionaire that made $40 million. And this book is one of the biggest things in his life, but I'm not going to read it or I'm not going to listen to the audio book. Then you're stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, again, it's a different audience. It's a, uh, yeah, it's like massive intervention. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand. You can't, tra- you can't transmit what you don't have. I mean, you know, it's like telling someone to go from A to B after you read a map. And I'm telling you, because in my, my memory, I know what it's like to go from A to B in my head. But I've never, I've never been from A to B. I mean, someone's <laughs> yes. going to pick you up. They're going to go, ah, you haven't been to A to B. I'm not listening to you. But someone that's done it, if some young fella's coming from a crime background, and he's trying to get his shit together and he's listening to you. He can't deny the fact. And it's sort of an undefended thing. There's nowhere to, there's no conflict involved, really. It's instant identification, you know? And that's what right. I love about what you're saying, Sean, and what you talk about, you know? It's, you know, anyone that's had hard times, it's instant identification. You can't deny the fact this guy's done it. He's been there. He's telling you the fucking story of what it's like. And he's telling you where he is now. I mean, can you argue with that? You can't. You know, right. you know, and it takes a certain amount of honesty, doesn't it, to pick up on this stuff? Yeah. And, you know, that's the other thing. And I want to just make this known. What's what's really also difficult. There's so much bullshit that's that's out there. There's a lot of misinformation. That's why my group is called Morning Motivations with a Real Multimillionaire, because, you know, it's hard. There's With Photoshop, people could Photoshop a Lamborghini. You know, people could Photoshop fake money and all this okay. other stuff. Me, like, just Google me. You know what I mean? Like, again, I've got 17-year history, you know, making money. You know what I mean? Like, I, this is, it's all there. Articles, books, money, like, all that stuff is there. You can't own a, a, a multimillionaire a company for 17 years and be broke you know what i'm saying like you can't be with the same woman for 14 straight years and and be a piece of shit you know what i mean again especially if she's an intelligent woman so for me like so many people change careers change jobs change hustles change the stuff i've been consistent for almost two decades man and so for me like i you know what i say real recognize real do you know what a chrysler 300 is you know what that car is uh no no i don't we don't have it here sean unfortunately a Chrysler 300 looks like it's a Rolls Royce Phantom. So a lot of these rappers in the United States, you know, like years ago, like eight, 10 years ago, they would buy these Chrysler 300s, put some rims on okay. them and give them all their rapper, you know, uh, you know, uh, artists because it looks like a real Rolls Royce. You know what? It does look like a Rolls Royce until what? Until a fucking real Rolls Royce pulls up <laughs> next to it. And then you're like, oh man, this is bullshit. Cat Williams did that. You know what I mean? Because so a I love lot it. of times kick information out there you know what i mean they could say whatever they want to say because with the social media the, the 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 double-edged sword is that it gives stupid people and liars and propaganda people an audience you know what i'm saying and so if you've never been if you've never ridden in a private jet then you don't know what a private jet is if you've never ridden in a rolls royce you don't know what that experience is if you've never you know experienced certain things how do you know so if somebody's on the internet talking about this and they got some photoshop pictures or some shit like that you don't know 
until you get exposed to actual real shit. And again, like you said, when you talk to me, you know, right from the door, I don't care what you ask me again, if it's in anything I talk about, I don't need a note to to look over and find like, you know what I mean? It's off the top of my head because I breathe this shit. This is my life. It is, man. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I, I highly recommend anyone to, to, to pop into the club, wherever you're doing speak, speaking or, or whatever, like, and uh, you're honest, your energy is genuine. I really admire where you've come from as well. Like, you're like you've really pulled yourself out of the gutter and your wife as well. You, you're two people to be admired and your family, you know, and like, where, 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 where's Sean Bradley going? I mean, what, what are your, do you have goals and dreams and, and things like that? Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Uh, I've, I've shattered my goals and dreams I mean, already. I, I've achieved, and I already did that 10 years ago. In my 30s, you know, I did everything that I ever wanted to do. So the only thing now is more. That's it. So uh, again, my grandkids' kids, which are not even alive yet, I'm sure I'm saying, are set for life. So my grandkids' kids are set for life already. You know, if I died today, the only regret that I have is not seeing my, my children, the people I love, you know, another day. But no. I've achieved everything, honestly, that I want. Now, what's next, though? That's different, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm currently working on it. One of my companies I have is called Syntech. So Syntech stands for Synergy Technology. I own 75% of the company. I've got a, a, about a half a million cash into it, and I give up 25% of it. So I'm developing software for the last yeah. six years. Yeah. I'm developing advanced software for, for my industry and for the world that doesn't exist. It's basically... A, um, a, a projecting, forecasting, daily activity tracker. It's a little hard to explain, but I'm actually writing algorithms and working with our coding team. And I believe that this one software product within five years of launch, I should probably be done with it in the next three to four months maximum. Yeah, we're, about, we're almost done. We're in the last stages of the UI UX. Once it's done, I think in the next five years, I'll be able to sell that software between 90 and about $110 million, which it might sound like a lot, but you got to understand in my industry, there's big companies like Cox Automotive. These are multi-billion dollar companies that are buying other companies. For example, Cox Automotive just spent $4 billion to buy dealer track. Cox Automotive spent $1 billion buying dealer.com. They own autotrader.com, Kelly Blue Book, et cetera. So when I, when I mention numbers like 90 to 110 million, it's, it's a lot. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. But if we're close to this, because you got to remember, this is, this is software that's for over half a million people in a niche industry that is national to start with. So that's what I'm working on. You know what I mean? For me, um, it's like I'm developing people. That's what I, I, what I love to, to do is that my, you asked me b- before the show, my, my two oldest daughters, one just spent almost three years on the front lines at dealerships. Now she just started working with us in September. She's an executive in the family business. My other daughter, you know, my youngest daughter just started selling cars and she's crushing it. She's doing double what the national average is only two months into the industry. My nephew's in the industry. So what my mind is this, like I am building this, this little empire in my mind, right? Of, and I'm including my family. I'm including my very close friends because, you know, like I tell my kids, like, why would you want to work for another company? If you work for another company, you're helping putting, you know, food on the table and you're helping build that person's dreams yeah. or have you. Yeah. Why not us all work together for the common goal? If we all feed dealer synergy, dealer synergy is going to feed us and the family. So I've got everybody on my team 
I mean, like the culture is off the hook, the energy's off the hook, and we're like we are on fire to just keep growing the company. I get the sense, Sean. Uh, yeah, e- even the fact you know you are who you hang around with, in, in in a way that even gravitates to your friends and your family. I mean, I'm even getting it from you as well from listening to your talk. That's the way it is. It's a fact. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's it's there. It, it's it is what it is, and you know, what, is there a secret to to this? Like, is it? It's it's simply network well, work well, keep your head down, or is it think bigger? You know, like Grant Cardone, for instance. You know, you know, you're not familiar with Grant. I'm sure you, you've interviewed Grant. He's something else, and uh, he'd be thinking, think bigger, think big, think big. You know, I have personal experience with Grant. You know, not only do I know Grant, I've been partners with Grant for the last two years, Whoa. and. So uh, Cardone On Demand, um, Grant actually licenses my content. So if you go to Cardone On Demand, you're going to see my smiling face. So Grant has over 1,000 car dealership clients. I am in all 1,000 car dealership clients for Grant Cardone. And so I've learned a bunch of things from Grant. So one of the first things that I want to share with you with Grant is he says that his biggest regret is that he did not think bigger sooner because he's 63 years old. And so my advice is this is that there's two sets that you got to remember, the mindset and the skill set. Okay. Mindset and the skill set, but the mindset is first. Okay, most people are not successful and will never be successful because why? Because they don't believe that it can happen to them. They don't believe that they deserve it. They don't believe that that it's going to happen. And it's not just because of them. It's because all the stupid-ass people around them, people that are their friends and family, that think they're trying to protect them or save them are saying, don't do that. Don't get your hopes up. That's never going to happen. What are you, crazy? Be happy with what you got. That's bullshit, man. man. So the number one thing is this. You've got to work on your mindset. That's why I talk about the secret, the laws of attraction and manifestation. You have to, have to, have to believe because Covey says that things have to be created twice, first mentally and then physically. What you can believe, you have a higher probability of achieving. So mindset is first by far. So once you believe that you are capable of doing great things, once you not just say the words like, yeah, Yeah. I'm going to be but you don't believe it. you got to believe that shit into your soul. Once you believe in your soul that you can and will do whatever it is that you want to do, then it's not like you could fucking just go eat a sandwich and, and wait for it to magically happen. You need to, the second habit from the seven habits of the habit people is begin with the end result in mind. Whatever you want to do, you need to reverse engineer, begin with the end result in mind and reverse engineer. How are you going to get there? And then what you got to do is work your ass off. It took me 17 years to become an overnight success. I'm going to repeat that. It took me 17 years to become an overnight success. All this shit that I have, the cars, the money, the this, that, it's not because I hit the lottery, not because I got a jump shot, it's because I worked my ass off, you know, and I sacrificed. So here's the thing for the podcast, if you're listening to this, if you want the things that the average person doesn't have, you've got to be willing to do the things that the average person isn't willing to do, legally, ethically, and morally speaking. So I think those are the two first things. One is the mindset, believing in your soul that you are capable and you will do this and failure is not an option. Second thing is to reverse engineer and action plan a strategy on how you're going to accomplish each one of these individual goals. Sean, there seems to be an ingredient there, courage, yeah? Courage. You've got to have the courage, yeah? Courage. Yes, I say courage, confidence, um, commitment, 
Because like I said to you before, you could have courage, but then courage can dissipate. So continuous courage, you know what I mean? You have to have longevity. Okay. You know, that that's also really important yeah. because, um, you know, I'll give you an example in sales. I'm a sales trainer. It takes on average of seven to 11 attempts to, to attempt to reach a prospect before they answer the communication. So what happens if you only called a prospect, a sales lead three or four times, and then you gave up, right? That's what happens. People don't have endurance for success. Do you know that Babe Ruth, one of the best baseball stars ever in the United States, is known for being a home run king? But nobody talks about that. He also has this, the, 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 like one of the highest records for strikeouts. But he swung his hardest at plate. Some of them he hits grand slams, home runs, and some of them he strikes out. If you listen to Michael Jordan on all the shots that he missed, all the games that he lost, all the things that he failed at, who gives a shit? The guy's worth over $2 billion. So again, endurance, endurance and endurance. You have to be relentless in the pursuit of your goals, and you cannot allow anything to stop you or anyone to stop you. And this is, I just interviewed a Navy SEAL. Sean Matson uh, for on my radio show, and again, when when human beings think that they've had enough, I'm talking about physically. When you're doing PT, physical training, when you're when you're exercising, when you are collapsing, <gasps> I can't do it. Where's the oxygen? You know how you still have forty percent more in you when you think you're about to die because you can't breathe. I promise you, there's forty percent more. If you're in the desert and you think you're about to die of dehydration, there's more in your tank. But people give up and bitch up the second the shit gets rough. And see, for me, that's the easiest part of my job because I've been through the fires. I've been through the depths of hell and I got fucking fireproof boots on. You feel what I'm saying? So, again, for me, no matter if it gets a little hot, I'm going to persevere, you know, and I'm going to be tenacious because for me, failure is not an option. See, you got to remember this, brother. There's only 86,400 seconds in a day. Yeah. 86,400 seconds in a day. Once they're gone, they're gone. There's no do-overs. On average, the average human being is only given 76 summers. That's before COVID. I don't know what it is now, maybe 75. But I'm 44 years old, and we're in April right now, right? So that means that I'm about to see my 45th summer. I can do math on my fingers and toes, there's a lot less summers left than I've already seen. Holy shit. What am I waiting for? A fucking invitation from somebody to be great? You know? Yeah, I, yeah, need, yeah. I, need, I need to lead by, lead by example. Yeah. Because, man, my children, you know, my, my children's children need to know that, damn, daddy or granddaddy, if he could go from that shit to this, I could do anything. I could fucking fly if I want to. You know what I mean? And that's what it's about is that look at just, just just think for a second. If you're listening to this podcast and as long as you're not driving so you don't crash, just close your eyes for a minute and just look around. Just think about in your mind all the architecture, all that shit. I mean, the buildings, the innovation, the technology, the all the stuff, the spaceships, all the stuff in this planet. Guess what? That shit, like all the people that, that built all that shit, most of that shit are not even on this planet anymore. We're only here for a blink. Yeah. A blink. What are you going to do with your blink? For me, I fucking live life in the front row. Every day I'm going to maximize, you know, every drop of life that I have because I ain't got no do-overs, man. I can't buy a second second. You get that? I can't buy a second second. <laughs> That's is that's trippy. Yeah, I, like life in the front row. Like all you have is this moment. What no one's gonna? Hey, this is success. I'm knocking here. You know, do, do you want to play? It's not gonna happen, is it, Sean? 
You got to no, make it. And I'm five five. You know, what I mean, I know that for the podcast people, I know I, know I sound tall as hell, but that's just the money, right? No, I'm kidding. So for me, I'm short. So I, I don't want to be in the bleachers. You know, when I go to concerts, I only go to concerts in the front row. I only go to concerts where I get to do meet and greets. Why? Like, why the fuck do I want to be in the bleachers? You know what I'm saying? And that's and again, I have different resources. So I don't mean be fiscally responsible, put on a credit card, and and, and not pay your mortgage so you can see a concert. Yeah. But my point being is that where I'm at in life and where I've been at for a while. I want to experience every sensation, every flavor, every taste, every feeling that I could, because one day, 30, 40 years from now, I'm not going to feel shit. I'm going to be in a box. So again, I want to experience everything I can while I can. I don't want to experience that shit when I'm 90 years old and I'm, I'm ready to retire. No, I want to enjoy life to its fullest. I want to enjoy relationships. That's another thing. Passion. Passion, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, yeah, sum, yeah. Sum me up, man. Can you I'm manufacture pa- that, Sean, or what? You, or is it just you're born with it? Or is it the mindset? Where does it come from? What is it? What what fires it? What fuels you? You know? Uh, and this is, it's psychology. Is it, is it, is it curated or is it innate? I say that for some types of passion you have to be born because then there's different personalities. Certain people might be introverts versus an extrovert. You know what I mean? So I get that. Mm-hmm. But I think that the question is this. Yes, I think that some people are just passionate and motivated and and extroverts, and it's easier for them, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that it can be taught. And I don't mean the excitedness and and, and the tone and the inflection. Uh, You you could have passion and, and, and be passionate. But be dry. I mean, you still have passion because, again, writers, for example, my God, they could bring you like, or, or screenplay people or, or songwriters, whatever. I mean, you can invoke emotion. Musicians could be, yeah. be dry. They, they could just, you know, articulate and transfer through energy their passion to a, a certain medium through poetry and music or sound or art or whatever it is. So I'd say that, yes, I think that people that have certain personalities have a competitive edge on passion, but that doesn't mean that, that certain people that don't have passion can't get passion or be passionate. If that makes sense. You got to have that fire in you, like the intervention and the people you hang around with, the people you associate with the material you take in. I, I, I'm, I'm sort of a believer as well. You got to cut the old life straight away. You just gotta, you gotta like stop it. And there's no easy transition. You just got to forget about it and move into something new, you know? I think that, and here's one of the things, because I know we have to wind down, do, yeah. is this. People, places, and things. You know, if you want more, if you want different, if you want to do more, be more, and achieve more, you have to change the people that you surround yourself with. You have to change the things that you do, and you have to change the places that you go, or you're going to keep getting what you've been getting. You know, and so, again... Sorry. So again, if you think about this, you know, for for me, it's just simple. It's 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 so basic to me. If you want more, you've got to change. You know what DJ said? The the gentleman from from Sons of Anarchy that did 17 years in prison, 17 years in prison and changed his life. 
he said he changed one thing. You know what that one thing is? Every damn Every thing. Day. Yeah, yeah. Remember that, you know, yeah. And you, you change one thing. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Everything you're changing. And so that's what it takes because if, if you keep doing what you're doing, how are you going to find your passion if, if, if all you do is the same shit yeah. you've always done? Yeah. How do you know? Like, for example, this guy's yeah. the most gangster person from, from Los Angeles, gang member, 17 years in Jeez. prison, you know, and, and he crochets. Who would have ever thought yeah. that this this gangster motherfucker <laughs> turns away on and could crochet and you know what I mean? That's amazing. Like, he finds joy in it and pat it's therapeutic. It saves him from fucking killing somebody, you know what I mean? Because it's a stress relief just to focus on the stitches. I mean, but think about that. Like who would have ever thought that a gangster gangster, like a real gangster, right, would would would, would find passion in crocheting? But you have to be really secure with yourself. Cause it's like, oh, if you're if you lack self confidence and self esteem, you might think, oh, somebody's gonna think I'm weird because I'm, you know, I, I, I'm crocheting. So again, you can't find your passion if you don't allow yourself to find your passion. Whoa, Sean, it's been amazing listening to you, man. Honestly, yeah, we're coming from nothing. Change everything, folks. What can I say? You know, uh, Sean. You, uh, <laughs> Rock the world, man. I, I Look, I'm going to follow you and see where you end up, honestly. And I can't wait to see what you do. And folks, live your dream, yeah? You know, that's the last words, I'm sure, aren't they, Sean? Absolutely, yes. Follow your dreams. And in like you, right behind you, never, never, never give up. Again, failure is not an option. Just keep going. Keep going. And believe. And if you believe, you shall achieve. My name is Sean V. Bradley. And, uh, you know, I've been rocking with you on Feed the Underdog. Sean, thanks so much. From underdog to top dog. Thank you, sir. Take care. Well, folks, that's it. We've reached the end of our show and we hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please subscribe to our podcast and our newsletter at www.feedtheunderdog.com. And also that same handle is on social media. So, folks, until next time, please stay safe and be positive.